And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Callan and Alex Show. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Alex. It's good to and be here. Co-hosting with Dr. Jones. Welcome Hello. to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, we've now been in a few of your classes. Mm-hmm. Um, not everyone's heard of you here at Franciscan. You're fairly new, right? Four years here in Steubenville? Yeah, five, five. But I've only been teaching full-time at the university for two years. So okay. I've, been, I've taught for all five years, but it was part-time for a long time, so... We had uh, Jacob Imam on the podcast a while back, and he, he was uh, talking up Steubenville quite a bit. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe excessively. <laughs> maybe excessively. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, enthusiasm, you know, it's, right. lo- it's lovable. Have you enjoyed your time here in Steubenville? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. I mean, it, 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 Steubenville is a weird place. To an outsider coming to visit, they couldn't figure out why in the world you'd want to be here until you get to know the people. I mean, by which I mean the community that surrounds the university and the churches, yeah. and it's a, it's a wonderful Catholic community. Mm. And you so. came here after doing your PhD at St. Louis, St. Louis University. But between after I finished there, I, I actually went back to where I'm from, which is Western Washington, outside of Seattle, and spent three years there, uh, and then came to Steubenville. So okay, so we were fleeing the West Coast. Was that when you were doing stuff with tech or when you went back to Seattle? Yeah. Or was that- yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when I, when I was working on my dissertation, I went to get a job in, and I got a, ended up getting a job in a software, at a software company working on um, designing and building research tools for uh, Catholic theology, Catholic whatever. I mean, Catholic scholarship in general, um, centering really on the scripture, but, but expending, extending beyond that. And it's a fairly big company that had been making this stuff for Protestants for a long time. And we started a new Catholic division of the, of the company and built a Catholic product and we're, and we're, we're uh, selling that and everything. And then, so that's, that's what I was doing before I came back into uh, academia. So it was software, but it was with Catholic, uh, it was Catholic software you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, 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 the idea it's called Verbum was the name of the software. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, we, that was my project. So me and the team of guys, and so it, it it's just a big a big research system that consists of hundreds thousands of books and texts that are linked together um, in a smart way and allows you to search and do research within the tradition in a way that's um, fast and easy. It's cheating, really. But, <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, you can search all this. Yeah. There's and it's all and it's all interconnected. So every citation is linked. So you know the kind of. Uh, the kind of following following threads of of thought or citation within the tradition is just like instantaneous. So it's pretty it's pretty cool. Wow, wow. Was that something that was just kind of in the interim as you were doing your PhD? Or yeah, was... I had four kids and I had to make a living. Okay, okay, <laughs> sure, sure. So at that point, I had four, and they just kept coming. So it was like right. I have to get a job. <laughs> make another living. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was writing the dissertation, I had to go get a job, and that was a good one. And um, and then I finished and then I came back into into academia, which is really what I want to do and where I wanted to be. Okay. So, so that was long term. Yeah. Very yeah. good. And we have good. a copy of your well, extended yeah. dissertation before church and Got state. It here. So uh to kind of introduce your your main focus, right? It's more of uh so medieval history, uh, a big part of your focus, as well as like political theology and yeah, politics in the church. Yeah. Uh, whenever people ask me what my what my field is or specialty, I don't really know how to answer. 
because it's that. It's like, it's like, well, what is it? It's, well, yeah, my study, my degree is in ecclesiastical history, medieval history. Um, but really, the, the history is weird like that, where you can be a historian and study anything from the history of pots and pans to the history of, sure. of metaphysics, right? <laughs> and that's all being a historian. It's like, well, so, so what I study is, is really historical political theology, but even beyond the, the, the theology, or really beyond, along with the theology is actual practice, right? So how is it that the thought and the action have gone together, which is, you know, history, intellectual history, and then, um, but from a theological perspective. So within the church and not, and one of my methodological, theoretical sort of, um, what's the right word? Like something I insist upon is that the church, the church is not just one actor within history, right? Like the, the church really, I mean, human history is about the church and, and about nothing else, right? Hmm. So Human history is about the church. So when we, so yeah, I mean, all that's going on is our, our redemption, right? The fall. And then the process of our of our of our grasping after God and of him of him looking for us and coming to mm-hmm. us, and uh, that that is all that's happening, right? So it, there's there's no there's no other there's that's no, a crazy way of looking at history. There, there's no neutral field on which history right. is being played. There's no sure, sure. there's no such thing as like a secular space. There's no such right. thing as as like pockets of human beings that aren't involved in this drama. I mean, it's about all of us. It's about everything. It's about all time. That, I mean, that's just so like the that's just the Bible, right? Inner political wars and the you know your history of World War II and your history of all those things are under the the bigger, grander history, right? Which of is like the, fallen redemption, which is the history of humanity, right? Salvation history. It's really interesting because in reading the book, that's one of the things that I sort of have a hard time try, coming to grips with, really, in the sense that. The, the medievals really conceived of the cosmos in a completely different way. Right. And, you know, like I remember one of the things is how they perceive, you know, heaven as the most real and God is the most real and all the material stuff is less real. Whereas right. Right. now we perceive material as completely real and immaterial right. things are kind of doubtful or skeptical or skeptical about them. Right. So it's like, how do you, and, and then with that together with like something like pluralism and just kind of religious um, tolerance and all over the place with all these sorts of things, how do you even approach talking to someone about a claim like that where you're like, no, like history is this, this is the only thing that ultimately makes sense? Because that's one of the things I've, yeah, I've just kind of been chewing on. There, like, what's a good approach for that? It, there's so many problems. It's all. It's, sometimes it's like it's it's like you're, what you have to ask people to do is forget everything they think they know, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because it's because of what you're talking about. We we are products of modernity, and we think Correct, in yeah. modern ways, and we have modern concepts, and we try to make sense of the world through those modern things. And even when we try to talk about Catholicism and Christianity and what's going on, we we are really translating it into modernity, into the, the language and the idiom of modernity. Sure. And then trying to and trying to make sense of it. And the, and the truth is it, it doesn't make sense in the idiom of modernity. Like the the moderns are correct if 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 the hmm. category system that modernity has created is the correct one, then we are really foolish for being Christians. Right. Sure. Like, like they're sure. correct about Christianity being silly. And so it, it, the 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 challenge to modernity can't be within its own premises. Right. right, so that makes sense. It, it has to be. It has to be more fundamental than that. And one of the things that 
so so for example in the in the 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 description of some of the problems that you just gave one of them is i mean you brought up like religious pluralism or something sure which is which is an idea that's predicated on the idea of religion um which is a modern concept right so so again it's like a whole letter of toleration wait, 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 let's let's pause here for a second religion is a a modern concept meaning so we're in our modern way of viewing things we have lots of religions Right, right. We have the the government, the state, and then people talk about church and state relations. Yeah, and so then it's like, well, how should these different things be in relation? So we can have arguments arguments about the proper role of religion and this, and the proper role of the state. Right. But very few people stop to say, no, the categories themselves are ideological. Hmm. Right. The, the, Wait, so our categories of having religions, of having a state, those are already viewing things in a modern way. Absolutely. And right. so. So how do you, yeah, how do you, and, then, and, and those modern category, categorization systems are only capable of a certain range of thought, uh, right? And so they so actually, it's limit, limiting you, 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 you actually nature. can't think mm. certain things with those categories, right? Like you, like you have to replace them with others and, and religion is a great example, right? Because what, what is religion? I mean, we, we, we throw that word around when, when a typical modern person Talks about like if you stop someone walking down the street on the sidewalk and just said what what is religion? Can you tell me what it is? You know what do you think they would say? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm serious. Like I, I'm interested in what I'd you guys say. Like say. Christianity, um, maybe like Islam. Like they might give examples of religions. <laughs> of religions, yeah, right, right. And then and then if you pressed and you said, well, what do all those things have in common? Why are why are those religions and not um, why are Islam, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism? religions and not the devotion that the locals here have to big red football <laughs> steubenville high school football. no no like, I'm, that's I'm a dead great serious. question yeah yeah like well, like what yeah. what why is one a religion and one's not and ask and like well they would say like a way of worship maybe and then like a moral code this is kind of how you view your life and then some type of afterlife principle i think and i think like that, that last part is the key right okay so it becomes because a religion you, because when you have you like you some pushed, afterlife if you pushed if you pushed on it then you would get to, you know, well, what's the difference when you say worship, right? What's the difference between worship mm. in church and say the way Americans have a devotion to the flag, right? Like they take their hats off, they face them, they do certain actions. We sing a particular song. Like it's obviously liturgical, right? Like wh- how is that not religion, right? Mm. Or I mean, you, you start asking those kinds of questions, and, it, and it, what it becomes clear is that religion, what we end up meaning is something like something is religious to the extent that it resembles 19th century German Protestantism. Hmm. I, mean, I, 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 I know that sounds facetious, but I'm very serious. Like To the extent that we're talking about something that's private, something that's yep. reflective, something that's about the afterlife and not about politics and or it's probably non-social it's it's individual it's per, yeah and and when we when we when we talk about religion without having to qualify it hmm. right without having to explain why it is that what we're saying is religion because people will object so when we just say it simply and without qualification we're talking about liberal protestantism and it's not a coincidence that those are the guys who invented the study of religion as a field in the 19th century, like religion as a, like the, the like comparative study, like of comparative religions, religions mm-hmm. is invented. And this is the period in which you get the idea that there are multiple religions, right? So the idea that Christianity is one religion among others is a 19th century idea. 
So we're living in a time where we just have accepted this 19th century idea of what religions are, but that's not how people have viewed religion in general before that. And it's and it's really not very important. Like I can drop it. I don't. I, it's unimportant to me. That concept of religion is not important for me as a Catholic understanding the the universe, right? Like I don't need to defend the role of religion here or there or all of that because I don't believe that's a useful category. Modern religion, right? So you you can you can you can sort of you, it's an end run in some ways around the argument, right? Because it's like, well, okay, I don't think there's such thing as religions. I think there's such thing as the virtue of religion in a Thomistic sense, mm-hmm. right? Which which is similar, which is which, which we, if we can say it very simply without getting too much into it, it's like saying kind of like kind of like rendering to God his due. Mm-hmm. So, in particular, normally associated with liturgical worship and this sort of thing. Okay, so mm-hmm. kind of cult of some sort. But that is a virtue in the same sort of way that justice is a virtue, or or you know, or, or charity or something. What I mean is, there's not multiple religions. There is religion as a virtue. And you either have it or you don't, <laughs> right? Now that's a very different concept, and it's not all encompassing. So, so like if you're talking about the virtue of religion, well, now we're not talking about the propositional content of dogma. That's not a part of the virtue of religion, mm-hmm. but that's certainly part of what moderns mean by the word religion, right? Is like the beliefs, the the, the system of beliefs, right. right? Well, that wouldn't be included. So you, you you're and not using, lots of different. Systems you're not using the same category, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean. It's very interesting that you know in the Middle Ages they they use the word religion uh, rarely actually I mean they they're, it, it, it constitutes a kind of minor part in some treatises on virtues, um, but one of the ways you see it used very somewhat frequently is in legislation concerning the religious orders. So mm-hmm. you know if you if you were going to say what is a religion if you asked someone in the 13th century they would go oh a religion like the Dominicans and the Franciscans. And the Benedictines, like those are different religions, right? Like that, because why? Because they're different liturgical, they're, they're really basically different ways of worshiping God, different ways of their being, of the virtue of religion being lived. So diversity within the overarching unity sort of thing. Yeah, but even that, I mean, we're, ta- we're grasping after it. Like that, that like <laughs> I have to go look for the word religion yeah. used in anything that resembles the modern sense. Let me stop for a second. Okay, so- <laughs> Just thinking about it that way, like, I mean, for people who are listening, like, wait, wait a second. So you're, you're saying us moderns, we have this idea of like, okay, all these different religions, you can be a Catholic, you can be a Muslim, you can be a Jew or something like that. But in the Middle Ages, they wouldn't even have this conception of like, it was just their whole worldview was Catholic and they wouldn't classify that as a religion among many. Well, no, because think about what what is implied this is what I mean by the categories themselves having ideological content. What is implied in the concept of religions? There's there's a couple implications. Um, first of all, I think there's a clear relativist implication. For sure. Then I also think that perhaps more importantly is there is a, a assumption of something called the secular. So if mm. you have a realm that's the religious, you have the realm that's the secular, right? right. And And sometimes – so sometimes, so you have the, the stuff that isn't religious, yeah. which is what gives religion its content. Yeah. It's right? like collecting okay. taxes and going yeah, to war. I mean, you, 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 like have, you have to, you have to in, order to, in order to have the modern concept of religion, you have to have already assumed that the world itself is not that, right? Is not religious. 
that's that's the reason why you can have different religions in that world. It's not dependent, you know, it's not dependent on either any one of them. It's somehow neutral. Um, and this is the reason why a lot of people, when they talk about secularization, they 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 want to the sort of the sort of textbook way of describing secularization is, oh, back in the olden days, things were really religious. And then over time, we've like peeled back religion and we've and we've 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 restricted its scope and taken away areas where religion used to have influence. And hmm. and really that so you're pulling away religion and what's left is the secular, right? Um, and that's the modern sort of myth of so the secular was always really there. And and the religious stuff, say of the Middle Ages, was was uh was tyrannical because it was overstepping the bounds of proper religion and it was dominating this fundamentally secular space. And so modernity sets things right. But you can turn that completely on its head and you can say, no, what what what's actually what the theory of uh, or what's going going on in secularization is not the peeling back of religion to expose what was already there, but rather the creation of religion itself as a category, right? So it's not that we're we're it's not it's not merely that we're creating secular space; we're creating the religious space too. That's how we that's how we um, that's how we do this, hmm. and um, and really then what it's about because when you when you when you you really kind of unpack religion, like the thing. That makes religion religion is is God, right? Like if it has anything to do with God, and by God they mean the Judeo Christian God, you know, God, the Lord God. Then it is a religious thing, and so what's going on in modernity is is designing a categorization system that allows us to marginalize God, right? to 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 pretend like he doesn't matter, uh, ultimately, right? So th- it's a trick. Um, it's like a, a realm that's just human. It's like this is just what we do, and then on Sunday we go to mass or go to yeah. So you church. get people like John Locke, right, who can argue, and, and I'm, not, I'm not saying this is atheistic, right? Uh, th- these are these are Christians who are mostly doing this, right? So you 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 someone like John Locke can argue that that religion is the most important thing to a person because how, well, how could anything be more important than going to heaven, right? Obviously, that should be the most important thing. And then in like the next breath, but it doesn't matter at all socially. Like religion is, it, the, the social thing itself, political, economic, social thing is indifferent to religion one way or the other. So he's, it's, it, you see, it's a trick that's being played. It's like we can, because we've invented religion the way we have, we can pretend like we're respecting God and elevating him while actually carving out a space where he is irrelevant. Do you think that it, there's a sort of simultaneous rise between the secular space that you're talking about as this fundamental framework and sort of the a-socialization of religion and making it more individualist in nature? Well, like I said, it, religion is by definition asocial. Right. Right. The, okay, so the, mod- so right. the, the creation of religion sure. is that. Sure. Now, if what we're talking about and this is where it can get really confusing because it, what we have to deny is that the secular exists in the way that moderns think it does. Okay, so they're not succeeding in what they're attempting to do, right? So that the, the 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 Catholic vision is better at describing what's happening in modernity than the moderns are themselves because they're in error, and so they can't they can't 
understand even themselves. So what I mean, what I'm getting at here is that if by religious, if, if what we want to mean is that it has to, that, that religious stuff, if, oh, how do I want to put this? What modernity is not getting out of mm-hmm. is that everything they do has to do with salvation or perdition. And that every societal function we build, every institution we build, every law we enforce, every family structure we we destroy or construct, everything we do is either building the city of God or building the city of man, either ascending to our, our redemption or descending to our perdition. Like That is actually what's happening regardless of whether or not modernity calls it secular. Right, that's irre- that's 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 and in fact the way so the way that we would understand this more properly I think as Catholics would be not to sort of concede that secularization is a real thing but rather to see it for what it is which is paganism. So perhaps a good way to put this I, mean, I remember <laughs> I, I was I was talking to Peter Kreeft when he was here uh, Dr. Peter Kreeft last what was that last spring and he gave this uh, interesting uh, discussion of how he's often asked the question, why do you subscribe to the Catholic perspective? And he said, well, the Catholic Church makes a much stronger claim than that. It's not a perspective. We claim that it is reality that we're talking about here. Right. And it seems like that's sort of where we kind of get lost in modernity is it, there's a separation of the the religion. I don't know how to say it. How would you we, refer we to it in the, mi- the medieval? Right. I mean, the, the, the religious stuff in the Middle Ages. It, it, you know, it, it, it corresponds to reality. Like it was reality. Whereas now it's like not really reality. It's just some private Christianity thing. isn't. And right. see, this is, and this is part of why when I say, when I say that religion ultimately the definition comes down to Christianity. Like what we mean by religion is a certain form of Christianity, and we and we we mean we we think other things are religious to the extent that they resemble that, and I mean that quite hmm. literally. Like when we when we go to an, a tribe someplace in the middle of nowhere and we look what we do, what they're doing, we start looking for the sorts of things that resemble Protestant Christianity, and then we call that their religion, right? Do they have secular texts? Do they have the like? We start trying to find the things that constitute our category of religion. Hmm. And then call that their religion. I mean, this is literally is what happens. Sure. And we cre- end up creating their religions. Like they had no notion of religion, right? They, 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 don't, they don't have any idea that their tribal structure or their economic system, and I'm using these modern words, right? So right. their political structure, their economic structure, their religious structure, they have no idea those are like separate sociological categories. You know, Western Europeans impose those categories upon their, what is an integral culture for them. Right, including the way they handle um, supernatural beings or that kind of thing is just integrated into everything else. But if you think about it, where it, religion is then really fundamentally Christianity, um, then what's going on with with the secularization is the driving out of Christianity, not the mm-hmm. driving out of the supernatural, not the driving out of of the sort of deep structure of uh, the deep anthropology that the Bible reveals to us of who human beings are, what what history is, though what 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 human beings without the redemption that Christ offers, what do they do? Old Testament. 
Just it's just a return to the nations, a return to the Old Testament, to the pagan kingdoms, and like that was the alternative before Christianity. That's the alternative when you when you push Christianity away, right? And that um, so so literally the creation of religion is about overthrowing Christianity. I mean, it's directly polemical. It's it, the, the it's not neutral itself. It's an act of aggression on on hmm. modernity's part. So the terminology we've created. So when we go run around yep. defending religion, we're we're doing modernity's uh, work for it. <laughs> That's a crazy thought. I think most people <laughs> when they when they say you know they're trying to defend religious liberty or they're trying to um, well meaning, um, very extremely well meaning, right? But, of course. So you're saying that there's um, by using these terms, we're working within the system of thought that a, a certain number of intellectuals, however, you know, um, by making secular realms, religious realms, even talking of like, oh, how should the church and state relate to each other? Yeah. How should religions relate to each other? Right. We're already admitting of a system of thought and of categorization that, that is designed to marginalize Christianity. That was the reason it was built. That that's for most people is a nuclear explosion of thought, by the way. No, I mean, that, right? that's, that's why it was Huge. built. It was built to dismantle Christendom. Right? I mean, that, that was, that's what the Enlightenment was doing. That's what the Reformation and the Enlightenment was doing. So do they do it, let's say, intellectually first, and then it just filtered down into society? Our, our, our language, did it come naturally like throughout this, let's say, progression of de-Christianity that we're seeing? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, th- th- that is a very, very complicated question because um, I think it's a mistake to view society as a kind of uh, top-down product of whatever the university professors think. For sure. Yeah. That doesn't mean that what the, univer- the university professors think doesn't matter, right? It, it's, it's more there's all kinds of feedback loops and, and things going on where, th- where sometimes ideas – are are the impetus for major structural changes and cultural changes. Sometimes cultural changes are are the drivers behind intellectual things. I mean, I think it I think those those questions they flow back and forth. But the point is they move together ultimately. Right. Like the structures of society and the ideas that make sense of those structures are moving together in the messiness of history. Right. And there's often conflicts and fights and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately you, there's a, there's a sort of character to epochs that that unite the way of life and the way of thinking about life. Sure, right? maybe we could talk a, a bit like of Christopher the, Dawson. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but maybe we could talk a bit of the terminology. Um, so your title of your dissertation before church and state, right? So basically implying like the whole debate is a you know you're already approaching it from a wrong angle, right? And then yeah. your your, um, your dissertation, which Josh has read, I have not read yet. I will admit, but um. On Louis the Ninth's Catholic kingdom, Most that he had. Christian kingdom. Yeah, let's take that term like the state. Right mm-hmm. when people read back into medieval times or whatever, they a lot of histories you'll get, you know, like public high schools or whatever, is how the church and state related right. in medieval history. Yeah, and you would say that that definitely is a flawed approach to it's, understanding the medieval age. It, you you actually can't understand how the church and state operated if you think the church and state are real things. <laughs> like okay so uh the creation of the state and the creation of church as we think of those two things are are two aspects of the same dynamic which is the modern ripping apart of what was actually there in the high middle ages all right so 
when we talk about the church now, when people say, when people talk about or framing the church and state question in the Middle Ages, and they say the church w- had a certain relationship or whatever with the state, what are those two entities? I mean, like, like what what is the church? What's the, what's the actor that the church, that when you say the church was this or that, what are you talking about? Institutionally, I'm like I'm dead serious. Like, what do you think people are? I'm interested in what you guys. Call, think. Like, I mean, I would imagine they'd say the Pope and the hierarchy. Usually, the hierarchy, clergy. yeah, the clergy. Sure, yeah, but but here, can I can I just like, just right off the bat, it's like, well, what if I told you that in every conflict that you have, medieval conflict you have between a king and the Pope, sure, that most of the time, virtually all of the bishops of the kingdom are aligned with the king. Okay, uh, it, does that change? Does that complicate this at all? Seems to. Now, who's the church? Because it destroys the very idea of what the church is in terms of the hierarchy. So it's like you got to say things like, consistent. okay, so the state is the king, I guess, right? I guess, but and and the but it's not because you want to say, okay, maybe when they say church, they mean the clergy, but that's not. But even that doesn't work because the clergy are integrated and distributed into structures of power throughout society, right? In, in, in a way, no different than the knights are or the, anyone else is, right? The clergy are just totally, are, so you can't even, so even when there's conflicts, you know, when you have conflicts between two knights, between two kings, all of their bishops are aligned against each other. So is that, what's, is that a schism, right? Or is it, or is the church merely the Pope? All right, well, now, if we start doing that, now we're getting really weird because there's in the Middle Ages, they would never in a million years have thought that the church was the Pope and whoever happens to be aligned with the Pope, mm-hmm. right? Like, so, I mean, we, or the king is the state and whoever happens. I mean, so. So you're saying like the king saw himself as a part of the church. So this is all the church. It's all the church. So, so a typical treatise uh, in, in the Middle Ages might start something like, um, uh, in the church, in the church, there are two powers: the spiritual and the temporal. Right. Right. Um, you know, uh, in in the the church is a body made up of two sides: the laity and the clergy. You know, these are the kinds of things that they would say. And so, and the laity wield the temporal power, which is the iron sword, and the clergy w- wield the spiritual power, which is grace. Um, so law and grace, which sounds like what? You know, law and grace sounds like the Bible, right? The Old Testament, the New Testament, law and grace. How are people moved? How do people move from vice to virtue? How do we move from fallenness to salvation through a combination of law and grace, right? Of being instructed and being assisted between that dynamic. And that the laity and the clergy are satisfying those functions within the salvation that the church is offering. Um, and the church is the society, the totality of the society. They're all baptized. They're all Christians. They're all doing all of their offices are Christian vocations within the within the church, right? So there's all kinds of fights within the church. That's obvious. But none of them are the state, and none of them are the church in the way we understand it, the modern understanding, right? Because the church is like the place where religious stuff is. Isn't that what we kind of mean? And like where mm-hmm. there's priests. So to differentiate. You know, <laughs> right. So it really is, when I say before church and state, I mean it quite literally. I don't mean that the church and the state were united. I don't mean that they were getting along. I don't mean that they were fighting with each other. I don't. I mean they didn't exist. Sure. So I suppose then to <laughs> differenti- differentiate between the modern and the medieval, 
we would say that while the modern, the secular is the backdrop upon which history is played, right. it seems like to use the term here in a universal way, the church is what was there. Like that's what they meant by everything that existed all the time. Yeah, right. So that. if we use, it's exactly right. So if we use that same analogy, uh, you know, you can, sometimes the analogy I'll use with students is, is that we typically imagine history as like a field, like a soccer field or something. And that there are a bunch of players on that field and, and, and the story and they're competing with each other, cooperating with each other, whatever they're doing, they're playing some game on this field. And, and the field itself is, is the secular, right? The field. And one of the players on that field is the church. And we tend, and we can then tell the story of the church. I give a play by play of the church as it interacts with these other things. It gets more power here. Right. It's fighting with this guy here. It loses here. It makes an alliance here. All of this, the church is doing all these things. Mm. But where is it doing these things? What is the field on which these things are being played? And that is history, which is secular. The progress of humanity. Yeah, right. Like and 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 so and one of the one of the ways we can see that that's the presupposition that we're making there is we can easily imagine just pulling the 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 church player off the field, right? right. And the whole thing keeps moving, mm-hmm. right? All the events still happening, the players are still going on, and the church is just gone. I mean, how how does how does human history change in the in the typical modern understanding if the church doesn't exist, right? And 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 it, there's this sort of pitifulness to Oh, I try. That sounds really harsh, but to to our Christians, sort of grasping after all the important things that we've done for the world, right? Oh, well, we came up with universities, and we came up actually like the guy who invented the Big Bang was a priest. Didn't you know that? And it was like all these great things about the secular world was like, well, we got a piece of that. I mean, we're kind of cool, and and it's like, like justifying ourselves to them, why we should exist to them to the playing on field. their own standards right? right and it's like well no actually the the oh. the better way of understanding what's going on is that the church is the field itself right the church is humanity and and this is i mean we get this in lumen gentium you get this that, that and and from a primordial condition humanity was was created to be ecclesial we're ecclesial mm. in our nature in the same sort of way that we're rational in our nature like we are ecclesial and and we are so we are social worshiping beings and that's that is what humanity is that is that is the field on which history is played now it, in because of the fall that that aspect or that field on which we're on, we're constantly perverting and distorting and we're creating idols and we're worshiping ourselves and we're, we're doing all of these uh, uh, non-Christian things, right? Non-proper things or false things, but they're all churchy things, right? We're never not the church, you know? And so when we talk about the church in a, so this is this goes directly to the Augustine's notions of the city of God and the city of man, and and so even in those kind of false churches, there are um, movements towards or in or, or, or sort of uh, hints at the truth, right? And those are those are of course the 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 the, the lingering residual natural law and the, and the, and also honestly the workings of of grace that are penetrating even into the nations, and that those are sort of um, avenues or channels in which the gospel can mm-hmm. find pathways into um, false re- false churches and convert them into the true church, right? Um, or into really into the, the, the complete church might be even a better way of thinking of it. Um, the playing field is the church. The playing not, field is the church. The second, that is such a, I mean, for, for Catholics, for everybody, I mean, that in, in our modern age, to think that 
human history is church history, that the playing field of reality, whether it's your you know, uh, whether it's you're going to school, you're paying your taxes, you're voting, you're doing your, right. you're uh, figuring out where to put your your money investing wise, or how you're going to do your banks, or how how many kids you have, it's or all where the you go. It's all the playing field of the arc of let's say humanity going from fall to redemption, right, on the way to heaven, or the other way, or on the way to hell, right? The city of God, or I mean, this is Saint Augustine. This this is the thesis of of Saint Augustine's the city of God. So, like Catholics arguing, oh, we need an integrated church and state. When they're they're not. I don't think they're meaning exactly what you're saying of an integrated vision of all reality. I, I think when, often not. Yeah. Often not. They they seem to just think like a confessional state or something right. like that. Yeah. Um, There's lots of problems with that. Right. But this is not not from a top perspective of we need to make the state more Catholic. This is a perspective of you need to just view the entire world as Catholic, basically, in the sense yeah. of like. In the whole history of yeah, and and and, and it really gets us out of a lot of these problems. So if you go back and read, um, so I mean, if you read, for example, the Vatican II's um, document on the laity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, and and actually, really throughout the council, when they talk about the laity, uh, often often it takes a certain thrust, and that is that the laity's mission is to sanctify the temporal order. And I don't know why we read that and make it, I don't even know what most, I, I mean, I, I, I've been surrounded by Catholics for many years who talk about sanctifying the temporal order. And I don't think they understand that that means economics, that that means politics, that that means like literally, like it talks about the structures of society, the legal structures of society, the economic structures of society, the, like that what the laity do is build and maintain the temporal, the, which is no different than in the Middle Ages, those were the, the kings were the laity, right? And that what our vocation within the church is to restructure and direct that, all of that towards salvation, right? And, and, and that's different than the clergy's vocation, mm. right? And, and that, so now one, if you start talking about the laity in that way, you start talking about like confessional states, you talk about, it's like, I don't even know why, I don't even need those categories. Like the categories I need are the laity and the clergy. Right and 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 those are the, those are the categories that we are given easily and directly in in our ecclesiology and we don't need so so why would it if 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 every just a thought experiment uh, if everybody in the United States converted to Catholicism and started taking it really seriously would we have a confessional state? Don't think so. What it's like? Well, it, everyone it, would just confess it, right? <laughs> it's just like well, we don't. It's like all the senators are Catholics and the president's a Catholic and the congressmen are a Catholic and everyone's a Catholic and they're doing Catholic things. Is that a confessional state? It's like it, it, it becomes it becomes like a uh, almost a meaningless question, right? You only it's need like, a confessional state when it's like, the I, I don't, I don't still need to, I don't need to campaign for a confessional state because we're converted. <laughs> right. Like it's almost like it almost like the confessional state implies like when people talk about that implies that this is something that has to be top down sort of ideologically enforced, like the way you have a communist state or, or a fascist or like a Muslim state or something or something like that. And you're yeah. and, it, and it's going to be imposed from above. And it's like, well, I mean, I could imagine if it, there, I'm not I'm not suggesting that there isn't a role for for law, course of law and all that. There really there obviously is. What I'm saying is that that's not. That's not the vision of an integrated Catholic society. The vision is is a conversion of souls that comes from the as much from the bottom up as from the top down, right? So, yeah. So sometimes I think Catholics don't want to 
face up to the fact, especially people who are really into politics, don't want to face up to the fact that the solution to our problems is not a policy, particular policy changes or particularly political ideologies, but our is of course conversion, right? Because yeah. because that that like you're never going to implement a Catholic state, right? Like that that can't be done. You can turn Catholicism into an, uh, an ideology if you want, like like Franco or like uh, Vichy France. You can turn mm -hmm. it into a political ideology and then convince a bunch of people to believe in it in the same sort of way that a bunch of people might believe in communism or something. But that's a that's a abuse of Christianity. Right. Right. I mean, so uh, if that's what they mean, count me out. <laughs> and it comes yeah. up, you know, it comes <laughs> up too with when we have like Catholic politicians. I mean, we're having Coney Barrett coming in now. And that just one of the greatest lines. I want it like I want somebody to say this to me that the dogma lives loudly loudly within you. You know, right? Um, but it comes up when Catholics come to public office of like, is your Catholicism going to influence in any way how you do your policies? And you know, it came up with JFK and, and presidential things. You know, right, going right and his denial of no, that's not going to come up into that. But there's always there's always that you know even in the secular mind there's always that questioning of like but these Catholics see, are something different. That's the reason why that they are right about us. Right, like, like, it is the truly the case that a Catholic cannot operate in a secular liberal political sphere in the way in which they think people should. They're right. Like John Locke is right about Catholics. Well, what did he? What did he say about Catholics? Uh, you know, everybody's tolerated should be tolerated except Catholics. John Locke explicitly says this. Explicitly, this yeah. And the reason why is because within his understanding of what religion is and what politics is, Catholics aren't properly don't have a proper religion. It's not a religion. It's a political ideology. It's a political system because it believes, because they believe that the polity itself is a part of the church, and that Catholics believe that grace is efficacious in this world, so that the even the the, the sort of so-called secular realm of of law and proper order can only be fulfilled through the efficacy of grace and of the preaching of the gospel. So through what the what the clerical church brings into society. Well, if you believe that, then then uh, pluralism and a sort of the idea of a neutral political and social space that underwrites liberalism is um, impossible. So you're, you're necessarily a radical and a subversive, right? You don't believe in the system itself. You don't believe the system itself. So you, you can't be allowed. So in, in, in the, you know, when you go through the American, the American founding and the American Republic, it's like they also were basically right about Catholics, you know? And, and when they became... They were right. And then once they allowed JFK to be elected and all of that, they were also right about Catholics because at that point we'd assimilated and we were no longer a threat. Right. So Let, let's go there for a second. <laughs> if you have any questions, please <laughs> have at it. Have at it. All right. So when JFK was elected, they were still right about Catholics because we had assimilated. Yeah, it seems a like it seems like the the secular liberal regime had reversed course on Catholics, but that's not what happened. Catholics had reversed course. Catholics on had given up. Yeah. Given up on being Catholic. Heard <laughs> <laughs> your first Kellen and Alex show. Uh, all right, let's No, I mean let's that's, that's too yeah. flippant, right? Sure. Because because it's there's this is the these things normal people live their lives within cultural settings, hmm. right? And 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 normal people find themselves in a historical time and place and they're not and and the vast majority of people are um, 
don't buck the culture and the trends in which they live, right? Even yeah. if they are living in good faith and they're sincere and they're and they they're not they're they're presented a world and that's the world in which they live. Totally. Right? And that's mostly a good thing. That's right? mostly but that's not a, that's not a bug, it's a feature. It's yeah. not a bug, it's a feature because we're a social creature. We're right. social animals, we're political animals and we and we live in a shared shared social worlds, right? And those and this is one of the reasons why the leaders of these worlds are so culpable, right? Like for and this goes to the sort of understanding of a hierarchy in society mm. and that sort of thing. Because they have responsibility they for They have responsibility everyone. for everyone, right? Because because most people just do what they're told. Um and so when I say things like that about us not being Catholic anymore, I don't mean apostasy. You know, I, I think the vast majority of Catholics remain devoted to Catholicism and wanted to be Catholic and thought of themselves as Catholic, you know, hmm. sincere in their Catholicism. But I think that they almost against their their own uh, impulses or their own faith, Catholicism had almost been like pulled out from underneath them. You know, from from the leadership in a lot of ways. But, so JFK, nineteen sixty. Yeah. And what would you say? I, and we've talked a little bit about this before, but um, seeing like World War One, World War Two, and that whole era, right? Um, that representing a real turning point for Catholicism, huge in the, in America, in the United States, in the United States, and really in Western in Europe. Europe too. Right. Yeah. yeah. What What was that shift? Well, um. We'll just talk about the United States because okay. that's, that's, yeah. So what's the, you know, before the war, what's the situation of Catholicism in the United States? And, and it's mostly um, ethnic communities, right? Un, uh, more or less unassimilated ethnic communities. Irish Catholics. Irish, Polish, Italian. Italians, right? Um, who in America itself, be, America itself is really a not a nation in the way we think of nations, like how you think of like the French, like Frenchmen or, or Englishmen or something, you know, the mm -hmm. United States itself is a large conglomeration of many different ethnic, cultural, linguistic, religious groups that are living essentially um, integrated lives within their own communities. Right. That, that, and, and, and a really decentralized sort of way. And the 20th century is what changes that in America. And so the sequence between World War One and World War Two, but the really culminating in World War Two, where the United States w forms itself definitively as a nation among nations, right? And it doesn't matter what your religion is. It doesn't matter if you're Protestant, Catholic, Jewish. It doesn't matter if you're Italian or Polish or or you know Anglo-Saxon, whatever. Like we're all Americans, and we're all fighting the good fight against evil against the fascists, right? Hmm. And then right after that, after uh, the communists. And that unifies the United States into a nation, like a modern nation, and also relativizes then the differences and so, within hmm. the population. And one of the, one of the major differences is, is uh, a confession, right? So it, it, do, it, it doesn't matter what confession you are because one of, it, you, an American can be any confession, right? right? So part of what that does is if, if the primary identifier of a human being shifts or migrates from his ethnic, which includes his confessional identity, to um, a national identity, then he might retain his confession. He might remain remain Catholic, but now Catholicism becomes secondary to to his membership in the nation. Right? He's mm. an American. 
And part of being an American is going to church every Sunday. And I go to I go to the Catholic parish, and my neighbor goes to the English side, and we're good Americans because good Americans go to church every Sunday, and we say our prayers, and we're you know, right. And it's sincere. I don't. I'm not saying it's it's insincere. So it's the same sort of way that you can say. You know, good Americans have a good work ethic, and so good Americans get up every day and go to work. And it's like, it's it, yeah, that's an aspect of being a good American. But that doesn't mean people didn't actually get up every day and go to work. They did, right? It's sincere. It's real. The work ethic is a real thing. And so when we talk about when I talk about Christianity or or any sort of religiosity becoming a a component of the national identity, so sort of secondary to the national identity, I'm not calling its sincerity into question. That's not what I yeah. mean. What I mean is that it's it, it it becomes secondary or it becomes derivative from the more the more fundamental identity, which is the national identity. Hmm. So it really comes down to a question of what's primary. I guess you could go with that question of if you ask someone who are you and what's the first thing that they say? Do they say American? Do they say Catholic? Do yeah, they say I'm right. No, no, you know, I mean, techie I, I or, I, my, my suspicion is that kind of a, a sort of anecdotal survey would be shockingly accurate. Okay. Right. On what, on, on the actual ordering of these things, mm-hmm. you know, and you can see this. So you'd have to draw it out and be like, okay, well, what's your religion? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Going no, back that's to right. 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 No, that's right. Right. Yeah. And so after the war, I think during the war, America there's a certain American, like what were we fighting for, right? Like what was, and, and we we're fighting against the bad guys, against the evil fascists and the American idea that was being fought for and that so many people sacrificed for and that, um, uh, that we, we, we came to believe in included being religious. It included being Christian, but it didn't, but it included that, like I've been saying in a, in a secondary, like good American men, went to work every day, they raised their families properly, they went to church on Sunday, they said their prayers with their kids before bed, right? And that's what we were fighting for in the war, and that's what good Americans do. And so that's what we did in the 1950s, right? But, but the point is, and, 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 and this is actually, this is actually, you know, this people don't know this, of course, but, but we, we have this idea that religiosity in the United States has just been steadily declining or something, but that's not true. So in the 1930s, for example, only 30 something percent of Americans went to church on Sundays. By the time you get into the, uh, by, by the time you get to 1960, it's like 70%. It almost doubles. And what, what happens is that is the war, hmm. right? And, and this, this idea, we are the good guys. We are the holders of, of what's right and true. We are what's, we are the, the defenders of what's moral, and we are Christian because they are atheists, right? The bad guys, the, the Nazis and the communists are the bad guys. We're the good guys. We go to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Now, that itself is not a bad, it's not bad, right? But the problem is because it's secondary or it's, it's derivative, when what it means to be a good American shifts, that can go, right? Like it, it's not people who, people who mistakenly think that the 1950s was this a sort of like golden period? Don't yeah. understand that it was one, literally one generation that was like that, and it was the World War II generation and the children, the the childhood of their children. And as soon as their children grew up, their children grew up to be the hippies, right? To I mean, like, everything like it, that they had, you know, it, kind it, of yeah. And their parents weren't 
like the, the World War II's generation's parents weren't this kind of family values, conservative Christian people. That's what was going on in the 30s or the 20s. Hmm. Right. And it's, it's so it's this, it's this period in the middle of the century. And um, yeah, so it, it, well, what am I getting at? So, you know, it, it, it compromises the whole, the whole narrative of secularization, the whole narrative of, um, of, the effects of Vatican II. I mean, you name it. There's all kinds of there's all kinds of de- current debates that are going on that aren't appreciating this historical dynamic that's actually happened. Hmm. You know, so so for example, the the decline of religiosity in the in the starting in the 1960s into the 1970s and the 80s uh, is exactly the same. So the decline in like church attendance among Catholics is exactly the same as the decline in membership in the Masons. Or bowling leagues, or I'm dead serious. <laughs> yeah. Wow, because it was just like a club. It's it the social club. break. It's the breakdown of that communal social vitality, that post-war moment hmm. where people were involved. Real, I mean, political par- membership in political parties has declined at the same rate as decline in church attendance. Right. So it's not. There's nothing. It's not that there's something particular about Catholicism. And, but that's actually the problem, right? That's not like saying, oh, therefore we're off the hook. I mean, like, no, what we did was make ourselves just one organization among any other. Mm. We, like, we accepted that role. To fight against this, you know, really formidable foreign enemy. There was like this, so that there's this push in America to really set aside all our religious differences, all our right. ethnic differences, And find something that unites all of us. Which is right. patriotism, nationalism, America, we got to win, we got to American way of life, guys. apple pie, you know, baseball yeah. and apple pie. Baseball and apple mm, pie. Baseball and apple pie. Fighting against, <laughs> yeah, against the Nazis and then fighting against the Japanese. And the communists and, after that in the Cold right. War. Right. And we're fighting for our way of life. And so we're not going to, you know, you're Catholics, whatever. You're, But we're fighting the war. And then the war ends. Mm-hmm. And then the enemy shifts to the Soviets. Right. Um, not, you know, not completely. Well, it is directly affecting people's lives. Not in the exact same way World War II is. But right. there's still an element of we go to church, we're fighting the communists. Atheists. They're atheists and they're horrible, and we're not. Right. right. And so we still go to church. We believe then, in God. We say our prayers. Right. And then okay, let's let's but, make, that, but let's talk about that. Let's sure. Let's make JFK like let's say a terminus point in this story for just a second. Okay. And say okay, how did we get from small ethnic communities to JFK? World War II happens, and we all unite together. And then the post-war situation, the Catholics who come back from war. And the Catholic Church after the war, mm-hmm. seeing a huge increase in attendance and people, you know, it's all absolutely right. It's great, but the Catholicism that's being that is there is one of um, supporting American. the American yeah, Empire, right. but not one of like, no, we need to convert America to be Catholic and have a truly Catholic vision. That be the way. That's to do right. It? Yeah, it, it's it's it becomes an America or a Catholicism that becomes. So, so one of the things that happens is because, like, like, why is Catholicism necessary for a just society, right? Which is the which is the consistent teaching of the church up until this point, right? Like, only Christ, only the grace that comes to the church will heal us. And one of the things that you get in the war after war after the war is that a lot of the nations, including the United States, are talking a natural law talk. 
right? Because in order to adopt, in order to counter the evil that is fascism and the evil that is communism, one of the things that the nationalities of the West do is adopt Christian morality as its own, right? And starts talking about it. And that created this optimism where people started thinking, well, maybe, maybe we can have societies that are governed by the natural law, Right, and they can be they can be just and good within their sphere, and then the church can be like this sort of witness to them, and this sort of supernatural aspect that sort of completes the people who are participating in both. I mean, there's sort of, there's sort of optimism in the natural law uh, potential of yeah. the West, right? Right, um, and so I think that people start the the sort of privatization of Catholicism becomes credible. Or becomes something that Catholics sort of are open to because they, when they look around, they don't see the world as hostile to the basic premises of Christian morality, hmm. right? In the 1950s, it seems like, like, like the secular world itself could be basically decent and good, right? And we could support what they're doing, you know, what the we could be a help to them, a help, right? And we have the fullness of truth and all this kind of stuff, hmm. and they, but they have a lot of truth and they're doing good work and all this kind of stuff. It's a strange sort of pseudo grace builds on politics, secular politics <laughs> kind of dynamic. Yeah, and, and really it's it's you know it's it's uh it's a heresy um you know in it, about 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 the necessity of grace, right? Hmm. That that grace isn't really necessary to do good. <laughs> so this is, gets back is, into the either, whole either thing that, that or it's the idea that the church isn't necessary for grace, one or the other. Either either grace is everywhere without the church or the, or grace itself isn't necessary in order to be good. And nature can just be, nature is just good. Nature is not fallen. It just isn't supernatural. Nature is mm. nature, mm. right? That kind of an idea. Um, and, and it's no coincidence then that like Dignitatis Humanae and things like that in, in Second Vatican Council are so heavily influenced by Americans, right? So right. Because, because this is, they're, they're kind of- They're actively doing the project yeah, in America, right, which exactly, is what exactly. Dignitatis Humanae is trying started, to- yeah, yeah, exactly. So- so I think when you get to by the time you get to JFK, there's the idea that oh no, I I my my Catholicism isn't going to interfe interfere with America because they're not even potentially in conflict. America are the good guys, right? So <laughs> it's just a wild thought. <laughs> right. And Catholicism is just the buttress. Amer to we're, a we're, the, we're the chaplains to the, the good guys. Yeah. You know, mm, which was like the chaplains in the war, right? And we're being a witness to them with, yeah. our, with our good morality and our religious services. And sure. But it's not going to, it's not going to interfere with how JFK actually does his politics or his economics or. And it's because those are operating or, in a different realm that doesn't require Christianity, mm, doesn't require grace. They're require on the secular plane. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm. So, um, so you could say we substituted playing fields, going back to your analogy, in order to defeat a very formidable opponent. And then after the war, we never switched it back again and said, let's get back to trying to convert America. Let's just, and it just switched for being, let's be good Americans now and play on the field as one of the better moral players yeah. um, to help support the team. Yeah, that's And right. then you had a lot of people, maybe a lot of people being, let's see, let's say disenfranchised with that whole, let's just be witnesses and just said, might as well just jettison the whole Catholic, be a nice moral, whatever, because it's well, not really worth Well, if you don't really anyways. need it, right? Yeah, it's, because, not, it's because, not really necessary. Because the American, America itself is the, are, is the good, decent, good, you know, to be a good American is to be a good person. Mm -hmm. And so, 
you know, and Christianity or what church you go to, or whatever, is, is secondary and optional. It's an important aspect of it, but it's not necessary. So, for example, you get a really interesting phenomenon like this. Up until um, the 1990s, so starting in the 19, late 1960s uh, through the 70s and the 80s, church attendance is plummeting, right, across the denominations. The only people who, who, who don't is, are the evangelicals, and those aren't the same people. They're a rotating door, right? So it's not really a, it's not really a good statistic. Um, so you have declining church attendance across across the denominations, but when you survey P- Americans and ask them if they're Christian, the numbers hardly change at all. So between the 1950s and into the early 90s, it's still about 80% of Americans say, I'm Christian. Mm. When asked, we'll say that. And I bet, can you guess the date where that starts changing? 1991, the end of the Soviet Union. Mm. So, oh, okay. Okay, mm. so it, so what's going on is like we're still fighting the communists. And it's, it's still a part of the American identity to be Christian, right? Yeah. And then what, what happens with the demise of the Cold War, uh, the end of the Cold War, is that that just falls off a cliff. Right, so immediately we talk about the rise of the nuns, the rise of, of so the self-professed no longer Christians, agnostics or atheists or whatever. It's like unheard of in the 1970s. Yeah. You could hardly find one, right? Even though no one was going to church anymore, right? Now it's it's just becoming you know it's like the norm. It's normal, yeah. And that and that, and that's because what's migrating or what's shifting is what does it mean to be a good normal member of society. Right, because what happens when Christianity becomes primarily an aspect of what's normal? So, is that once when what's normal changes, it may not no longer involve Christianity? Right? You don't want that position. You don't want people to be practicing your religion merely because it's what is normal. You know, although that helps to get pe- to get people <laughs> right. in the door. Yeah. Right, but you don't want it to be merely that. Mm. You know, so. Um, it becomes part of the ideological structure. Would be another way of putting it. Hmm. Man, what? A, go ahead, Josh. No, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just thinking. One of the things I guess that has also sort of struck me is what the dichotomy must be between the the way in which liturgy was understood in the Middle Ages and how it's understood or even just experienced today. As I mean, it almost seems to be more kind of that what you said, 19th century. German Protestant kind of, yeah, it's, right. it's very, it's very, like I walk into many churches now, the 1970s churches, you feel like you walked into a social club, literally. It's weird. Right. And so could we maybe talk a little bit about that conception of liturgy in the middle ages, because it seems to be such a fundamental part of, you know, what it, what church is when church is reality. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, the liter the, the, you're, you're very right to point that out. So Really, the, to the medievals, the cosmos itself is liturgical, right? So the hmm. ordering of things and of action is in or ordering towards the worship of God and the adoration of God, and the man and mankind is sort of the priest and the king, right? So the mankind is the one who orders the the material of the cosmos, including himself, including man's self and his society, hmm. towards this worship of God. And, and so in the ideal, to the extent that we were sinless or we could be sinless, all of human activity and through human activity, all of the ordering of the world itself 
becomes one sort of giant liturgical act. Now, this becomes instantiated in microcosm in like the monasteries, for example, right? Where you have the idea there is that every aspect of the monk's life is a form of worship. And it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if he's working in the fields or working in the scriptorium or literally mm-hmm. in, in, in chapel saying the liturgy of the hours, or, but his entire life is, is a form of prayer and a form of um, really public prayer, social prayer, right? Liturgical prayer. And that's the idea that animates the social reform in the Middle Ages. The idea is that all of society must ultimately be ordered towards the worship of God. Um, and that means ultimately ordered through um, the, the Eucharist, right? So, so the mass is the, is the central, the, it's, it's, it's not only, it's sort of, it's, it's beautiful, right? Because it's both the, the sort of starting place and the, and the, end, and the end, right? So mm-hmm. the starting place is, is it, it's the place where the grace and the revelation, the teaching, the preaching flows into society that makes its movement towards perfection possible. But then it's also the imaging of perfection, right? So it's also what we're, what we're striving for is the perfection of the mass, mm-hmm. you know? And, th- mm-hmm. and that's what we're striving for in the society as a whole, like to turn all of society into a liturgical event. A very complicated liturgical event, right? Right, but uh, it includes all of it. it but it would include all of it. Your right? work, you know, how you, your, your money, your, your work, your bodily action, your family, everything, your- everything. Like like how the liturgy, like how the mass includes everything that's there, right? Like everything that's there at the mass is a part of it, of the event. Yeah, and just look at like the great cathedrals. They took lit- like take Notre, Notre Dame, right? Yeah. Notre Dame. Uh, <laughs> I mean, these are people in the 1300s who made this just absolutely. I mean, they took. Their, their work and their labor and everything and donated it and right. actually built this enormous, just beautiful cathedral because they thought that's the center of everything that we're doing. Right. And you got to think, their conception was like, yeah, no, my whole life is associated with that. Everything that is. Everything that's is. right. Yeah. It, not to mention they didn't sign it. It's, <laughs> it's crazy because you, you know, us, uh, you know, moderns now, it's just so incomprehensible. The fact that anyone would build a building like that and it would look like that. I mean, it just like, it's, it's one of those like permanent icons of like, we are completely different than they were. <laughs> well, yeah. What, well, I mean, where is our most impressive feats of architecture? World yeah. Trade Center, I Skyscrapers suppose. in Manhattan, yeah. which yeah. are all about money. Right? Tower of Babel. Big blocks. And they yeah. will not be there in 500 years. Big blocks with the offices, malls. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Whatever you want, you know? Yeah. And they're- Any economic and uh, they're And they're made hotels. for consumption. I mean, they-, they they're to be used up and thrown away when they're no good anymore. I mean, they won't, they won't be there in 500 years. Right. Hmm. We don't, we don't build anything hmm. that'll last that long. For sure. For sure. Your dad was an architect, right? Or is is, he's uh, retired now, but yeah. Wow. What did he work on specifically? All different kinds of stuff, commercial, real residential, everything. Okay. Okay. So his firm did everything. Was he sort of into architectural history and kind of theory as well? A bit. I mean, yeah, he's he, not a sort of an academic level, but um, he understood very well what he was doing and mm-hmm. talked a lot about the connection between between form and function and the aesthetics and the and so and and had very strong beliefs about those sorts of things that he <laughs> shared with me I throughout bet. my childhood. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because that's one of the things that I've just been a little more interested in recently, and it really seems striking how architecture really does reveal something of the vision of, of the society. It really does. It really does. It's really a lot of ways, a perfect 
analogy or metaphor for for the society as a whole. And and I think that's one of the reasons why when you read the Bible and stuff, it's such it's sort such a sort of meta metaphor, right? Like we're always talking about structures and foundations and pillars and right. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that, and that it's because um, buildings are uh, microcosms, right? Yeah, they're little worlds that we build, and they're little worlds that are that we have control over in a way that we don't control the outside world, but we want to. <laughs> right like the subduing and having dominion over that we're that we're tasked with is is more completed in the in a building than outside the building subcreation right it's a subcreation and so and and it reveals the the relationship between our telos like what it is we're after right so what is the building for and then the structures that we construct in 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 the pursuit of that end um and it, and it, so looking at that helps us see how the world we build outside, the social world, the economic world, the political world is also aimed at certain ends, right? So a house is for a certain thing, a grocery store is for a different sort of thing, you know, a factory is for a different sort of thing. And, and it's only, those buildings are only really good at the thing they're built for. And you can't, it's very difficult to say, well, we've built this house, but really we need a steel mill. And so we're going to turn it into one. It's like, well, no, you need <laughs> to tear down the house and build a different one. And and so when you look at social structures, and this is where you get you can get to like John Paul II talking about structures of sin and these sorts of like these aren't these aren't new there aren't new the, the society that we build is not neutral towards the ends that it's pursuing. The hmm. society is built to pursue the ends. Right. Hmm. And so it's not so so you can't just switch out the ends. It's not like you can say, well, we built this world in pursuit of wealth and comfort, but really we should be pursuing Jesus. So let's just insert Jesus there instead, but keep the world. It's like, well, no, if we were, if we're pursuing communion with God, we would have built a different world. And if we decide to pursue communion with God, which we ought to, this world will be um, undone. Hmm. I remember the first time, because I'm from West Coast as well. And the first time I came to New York and I was like, like the f- just coming around this corner, I remember looking over and you see Manhattan. Yeah, and you're just like, oh my goodness, I, oh my goodness, I can't believe human beings built this. What is this? I have yeah. no idea what this is. And just enormous, just concrete blocks. Is you know from a distance, it's like a like a Jenga game or something like that. You know where it's like yeah. all these. It it almost doesn't seem real. And then you you go down and uh, go to like New St. Patrick's, right? And um, you're outside of it, and it's still just like enormous. But yeah. compared to everything around it's it, dwarfed. It's just you know minuscule. And I remember um, I brought this up in the debate we had last semester um, uh, with the the Cardinal Archbishop when they had finally finished uh, the facade. Uh, I think it was Rockefeller or some some big guy in New York put a statue of Atlas on the yeah, opposite right, right, right. of the New St. Patrick's, you know, to kind of be like, yeah, well, yeah, right. you're doing your church stuff, but this is the real stuff, you know, we're, so the Cardinal Archbishop took a, a statue of the infant of Prague and put it up on the facade opposite <laughs> of it. And it's just like holding the world in his hand, holding the world in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> right. I love to see it. <laughs> so, and I think that's the type of, um, I don't know, Catholic bravery, you could put it, that we need to have in the face of this, you know. Uh, and then that was the the thing we're really talking about, too, is um, many Catholics don't see any, let's say, issue with a New York City in a, like, we've built our whole 
society around our DC, New York is like our yeah. temples to the market. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's you know Wall Street and DC and the politics. That's where like reality happens, right? Yeah, and like you can go to New St. Patrick's if you feel your moral conscience get pricked and you want to go. Yeah, maybe pray your, a maybe bit. on your lunch hour. <laughs> yeah, you can swing you can by. Walk, you could swoop by, walk in as long as you get back um, to work at time. So let's <laughs> maybe let's move to that. Like, how would how do you start to kind of to get into the average Catholic mind of like. Oh wait, no. There actually is something profoundly, would you say, wrong or profoundly out of order if we think that the New York, DC gods that we kind of have in America is is not the end of all humanity, is not the end of our our actions. Our like, yeah. how do you how do you start to to say like, oh no, there's actually something profoundly non-Catholic about that? It feels to me like it's opening up people are increasing the fact that we're sitting here having this conversation which we i, I doubt would have happened 10 years ago hmm. cheers to that <laughs> um there's there's some there's an opportunity opening up because the depravity of the world of the world in which we live is becoming so profound and so pronounced so obvious hmm. Hmm. that for all those well-meaning good faith americans for whom their christianity is sincere Right, even if they didn't, they didn't realize the way it had been subordinated to other things, and but when it becomes in stark contrast to the external world, and so they're forced to sort of choose. Right, there's a lot of people who are going to choose Christ- their Christianity, even if they haven't been forced. They haven't been forced to make that choice, mm-hmm. maybe for the last four, 40, 50 years. Wow. Yeah. But like, w- you know, when that choice is forced, a lot of people are going to choose the world, a lot. Right. Once Christianity becomes uncomfortable, becomes abnormal, becomes problematic, you know, probably most Americans are going to choose the world, but a lot are going to are going to open up to something else. And I get to back to Christianity, and you can already feel that Hmm. when you know, as I talk about politics with people, talk about economics, talk about social order, it's just every year there are more Christians who are more receptive to, uh, to to thinking about well, maybe the way we live isn't okay. Like maybe, maybe the problem with our society isn't just that we haven't elected the right senators and implemented the right laws. And we've really got to do something about abortion and gay marriage. But other than that, we're pretty good. Like maybe the problem is deeper than Hmm. Democrats, you know? And (laughs) (laughs) who would have thought? Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I guess that's kind of funny, but it's, it's no, I mean, that kind of is like the terminus of like, yeah, it's the problem is Democrats. If you're you know a faithful Catholic at this point, and then if we <laughs> overcome that and we get more Catholic senators or more Catholic, you know, another Catholic on the bench or. But really, for a lot of people, what they mean are just Republicans. Right. Not Catholics. Not yeah, Catholics. Right. Yeah. And, and and it's like, no, no, actually, the problem is not like the, 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 the abortion is a great example. Like the problem is not. The culture of death is not the Democrats being pro-choice, although they're demonic. The culture of death is a culture in which abortion is a political issue, right? Mm-hmm. Like in, in which it's an issue like any other, like it's social security reform. Like it's one that if you're asking a politician in a, in a town hall about abortion, you're living in the culture of death, right? Like, like a culture of life doesn't do that. It wouldn't be a question. It'd be like asking, like, is murder a bad thing? Yeah. You know, or, or slavery or yeah. something. Right. 
And it's like, well, no, of course it's not. There may be some depraved people out there who do it, but culturally we all think they're criminals. Yeah. Right? That's the culture of life. The fact that it's a debatable it, issue admits that it already is. It all, we've already lost. Okay. Right? We're fighting a rear guard action. And there's something and that fight should happen. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Right? Like every baby counts. So I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay the pro-life movement. I think they're heroes. But the they're sometimes missing that the the society itself is not neutral towards this Holocaust. Right? Like we live in a world, we've built a world in which this is something that's possible. Right? That right. needs to change. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's amazing. And I, I remember reading, <laughs> this has been a while back, a, an essay that you wrote on abortion, and you called it, if we abolished abortion, it would be an apocalypse. Yeah. I think it's one of the, the terms <laughs> used for it. Like there would be an American before, America before, and an America after, Absolutely. and they would not be, fundamentally, would not be the same thing. Right. I think that's correct. What would you what do you mean by that? Abortion is is I I I really think abortion is basically a form of human sacrifice. I mean this is going to get really heavy, but um that when you look at the pagan regimes, the the pagan regimes of the past, there's always human sacrifice. Almost always some form of human sacrifice. And very often it's the sacrifice of, of children and of babies. And the reason why is this isn't just some, it, it is, it is directly demonic, but it's also anthropological or sociological. There's a function for child sacrifice. And that function is to eliminate the bottom up order that emerges from the love within the family, hmm. right? Because that's a threat to power. It's a threat to the power of the state. It's a threat to the power of the market. Because it's what it's basically asserting is that the weak, the weakest, have a claim on the strong and that the strong have to use their power for the weak and not use their power for the weak as an act of will, of their will. But actually, it's, a, it's actually a, a, a sacrificing of their own will or their own interests for the weak. So what it's doing is admitting the principle that power could be for that which is beneath it. Or for the bottom, and so, you know, it's a preferential option for the poor. Essentially, once you've done that, then the 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 underpinning of of modern uh, liberal politics are, is undone. The anthropology that under that undergird, uh, undergirds modern liberalism is undone. So, abortion. I think the the coming of abortion is not merely a, a tragedy. It's actually very predictable. That in order for us to finally jettison Christianity, to finally stop ordering our society as Christians, we had to start sacrificing our babies again, because that's how you do it. And, and, so, and that's how it's always been done, and that's how we're doing it again. It only stopped in the Catholic society. Yeah, Christianity stopped the killing of babies. You that's got a right. book ended oh. on each side. And, and when you jettison Christianity, it's what returns. <laughs> and it's not... And so, and I don't think it's just, like I said, I do think it's demonic, but I also really think there's a sociological and political function to it. I think it inserts violence into the most intimate relationship and the most relational of relationships that mm -hmm. human beings are capable of, which is the relationship between the mother and the, and the baby, right? And, and it's the relationship in a lot of ways where we most directly image God, right?
And so you're inserting within that relationship violence. So now the child lives because of a, the the capricious will of someone of the powerful. So you you get to live on a whim. You could have just as easily been killed, right? So once you've done that, it doesn't. All you really need is for it to be possible and for one person to do it every once in a while to keep. You don't. It's not like it has to be widespread. You just. It has to be always there that you could kill your baby. Mm. The potential. The potential, the power to do it. And one, if that is enshrined and then it happens from time to time, you, you are instituting the anthropology of, of paganism. I mean, that's, that's what you're doing. And you're acting it out. Yeah. That's kind of a liturgical event. It's a liturgical way. event. It's yeah. a sacrament. I mean, just look at the Aztecs. It's or- a sacrament. When people say like abortion is the sacrament of late liberalism and, and uh, it, it's necessary. So in order it, to, un- you couldn't outlaw abortion without overthrowing the system. That's just a wild idea. I don't think you, I don't think it, that's the reason why it hasn't been done. You know, I mean, it's like, I don't like, again, I think that there's a lot of heroic people working for it, for the outlawing of abortion and their right to do so. And they're braver than me. So I'm not, I never want to be construed as criticizing the pro-life movement because I will not do that. But we, we do at some point have to ask ourselves, why is it that we keep electing these people? We keep, I mean, and, and it doesn't ever go away, right? It's like we keep winning and we never win. It's like, are we ever going to win? Maybe this time we'll win. Maybe if we get, you know, this next Supreme Court justice on, then we'll win. It's like, would you guys, what do you think the chances of that really all are, are, are? I mean, honestly, I mean, like we're all excited right now about this next Supreme Court justice. Do you really think that's going to lead to the overthrow of Roe versus Wade? Hmm. Maybe, maybe. I doubt it. I hate to say it, but I'm, and that seems I'm to be, cynical. I, I mean, I, I doubt that we have the stomach for it. And that seems to be implicit precisely in the questioning of her because they were questioning her the other day. Yeah. And that was sort of the question is, how is your, you know, do you, if you get on, are you going to overturn Roe v. Wade? And she basically said, well, anything that's still being debated isn't permanent and therefore it's not, you know, I don't remember the term. And even if it happened, for it, but, that yeah. wouldn't be the solution. It would just, right. it would just create the the war because, like, right, yeah. it, it, would, it, it would revert back to the states, of course, which is better. Yeah. And a bunch of states would immediately outlaw abortion, and for a sure. bunch of other states would totally legalize it. Yeah. And we would be in a position, a sort of like pre Civil War position, right, where some places slavery is legal, some places it's not. But is that something that a, one people can? can coexist where you cross a line and something that's murder murdering babies over there. One thing is murder on one line and you, and you walk five feet and it's not murder. Is that, is that a sustainable society? No, No. not at all. (laughs) So, Uh, so, you know, that's what I mean by being an apocalypse. Like this, this will, this will like, and and yeah, anyway. Yeah. And it, it really is. I'm thinking back to like, you know, early Roman Christians, they would, um, they got brought up to like the government officials because people would leave their babies out to just die you know, right, if they were right. unfit. And the Christians would come and just take them right. and say, we're going to raise them yep. as children. And it only came after you know the empire became Christian that child sacrifice became, you know, started to go away. Yeah, that's right. And you're thinking of like, like I'm thinking about, um, we had Columbus Day recently, you know, like the coming into uh, Aztec civilizations where they're sacrificing people all the time. Yeah, and right. then they, it's when they came to it, they said, this has to stop as a Christian civilization entering in. It's crazy. And I've heard this, you know, where I heard the sacramentality of the abortion actually from uh, 
from Rush Limbaugh. He, he says, you know, the conservative talk host. He says uh, abortion is the sacrament of the left. He uses Catholic yeah, terminology right, for it. I right. think more people are, like you're saying, there's a group of, let's say, Christians realizing with how far that we've gone that, no, something's really fundamentally wrong. Right. And we need to start. And it's deep. Like what's wrong yeah. is deep. It's like not. The fact that we have abortion, it it's, it, yeah, it, that could be one of those issues that can really get Christians to really embrace the radicality of, right. of the gospel message again. Right. It's like, no, we, we are as a society. Uh, electing people in a supporting a system which thinks murdering baby babies can be possible or is right. debatable, and, debatable and allows right. it to continue year after year after year after year mm-hmm. right and we you know if you're really upset about it maybe you can go to dc and do the march and pat yourself on the back and once again we're not denigrating the pro-life movement um but at the end of the day we all go home and go back to our normal lives yeah you know and it's not the like you said the the there's, it has to become it has to become a more radical position in order for for that kind of fundamental change to occur. It actually has to be a Christian society that's willing to give up. Yeah, that could we even say that abortion is the sacrament really of just the political structure in general? Because I yes. mean, even the right is so. So this is this is this is, this is yes. very much Liberalism the case. Sense. So yeah, and, and actually, in a lot of ways, I mean, capital. In a lot of ways, it's like the right, the the the, the American right is very right to be pro-life, right? I'm glad they are, right. but that's an inconsistency within their philosophy, right? So, because <laughs> for, for a lot, for a lot of them, it's a huge point. Yeah. Right. Because, because children really do not fit into a liberal political scheme. Right. And you're meaning liberal in the term of liberalism. Oh, like you're classical, not just like classical liberalism or whatever we want to call right. it. Right? Not the, not just the left. Not just the left. No, I, the tradition that both the left and the right in America come out of. Okay. Right? Which liberal. is like freedoms, free market, individual kind of- individual rights, um, social contract theory, uh, rule, of, rule of law, that kind of stuff. Yeah. John Locke, yeah. And uh, which, by the way, is probably news to a lot of people that that that's what we actually is liberalism is that category. Right, yeah, because they think that's the only category. <laughs> Going back, to, so like when we're using the term liberal here, like we're we're kind of getting what we're because we've been with this terminology. But for most right. people, liberal just means the left, and conservative means the I right. know, I know, I know. And but what we're meaning by liberal is the whole conception of even like Lockean private property, right? Our economic system as we have it, um, freedom and liberty, natural equality, natural rights, yeah, rights, and rule of law. Uh, normally, democratic, some sort of democratic political regime. Um, the distinction between the public and the private, right? There's a, there's a whole battery. Autonomous individuals, <laughs> yeah, self-interest, the, uh, the autonomous, self-interested individual, the state, religions as having all pluralism. all human interaction being ultimately contractual. See, we could have so maybe, you know there's there's maybe a lot. next time a six hour <laughs> podcast on liberalism and all its different intricacies because oh, yeah. like oh. that. So let me let me just say when I so the first class I had with you was Catholic social teaching. And, um, you know, we, we went through all the different hierarchy and Catholic social teaching, Catholic thought and all these, all these things. And it was only like discussing with you a lot, like, oh wait, no, liberalism is actually an ideology. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of just, that is the air we breathe with in terms of terms and all sorts of stuff. When you first started using the term liberal, I was thinking, what does he mean? The left or something like that. But (laughs) I don't want to downplay the fact that this for most people is, um, either unintelligible or like a whole. Uh, yeah, it's like, wait a second. I'm within a, you're telling me private property hasn't always existed for people, that concept. You're telling me that 
there is like the state is a modern concept. You're telling me that all these rights. other things that rights take rights. I mean, because let's take the pro-life again, that you know, everyone has a right to life mm-hmm. and um, we have to recognize that right. And we have to get our, our liberal system, liberalism system to recognize the right to life. And then once it's enshrined as a right, then it's solved. Right. 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 Um, but the, the problem is obvious, right? That it, that the problem that abortion, the reason why I, I say abortion is this fundamental issue is because it, it exposes a conflict in those rights. So the, the child's right to life conflicts directly to, with the mother's right to her own body and to do whatever she wants with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you solve that dilemma? And it, so this is the reason why liberalism as, a, as an ideology doesn't have a place for children because children are dependent and liberalism is based upon the premise that all human beings are self-interested, autonomous, rational actors who are capable of equal um, interactions with each other on equal ground. And this is where they negotiate their relative rights and make deals. And so children are a problem. And, and any inequality. Any real inequality. Children just expose that inequality on a massive scale because they're so helpless. Right? Yeah. They, can't, they can't make a deal with anyone. They just, they'll just die. Right, and so you have to deal with that problem, and the, what abortion does is deal with it. Because, and now when a, when a, when parents decide to keep a child, they, they that child has not been imposed upon them. They have made a deal essentially. They've chosen to now care for the child, and in the same sort of way that you can choose to enter into a contract, and then the state will compel you to keep it. Right. right, because that's one of the underpinnings of liberalism. Like the contract starts at a certain trimester, right? Yeah, <laughs> and then, now you, if state, you right? choose to have the baby when you have the option not to, right? Mm-hmm. So it's voluntary now. So you've entered into a voluntary agreement. Now it's coherent within liberalism for the state to say, now you must care for the child. Yeah. And right? if you don't, we'll step in. Because it's, a, it's, a, it's basically a contract that you've made. Right. But, but they have to have that out. Right? There has to be the out. There has to be the option to not make the contract. It has to be voluntary. And that's that's the function that's of abortion. That's the right to the body is. Right. Right. Is, I don't want to have to raise this child. Therefore, I want it off my body. I yeah. own my body. It's a trespasser. Yeah. And you can't and force they, me into this contract. You can't force me into the contract. Or right? you're going to force me to have this child and have to raise it. And that that's kind of the. And the, and the, and the, the premise of liberalism is that all human, inac- human interaction is contractual. Right. And so you can't do that. Even marriage, even the family, even yeah, and kids. it's all about it's all about negotiating rights. And so here is a conflict of rights. Well, who owns what? I own my body. Get off my property. And to a certain extent, we just mean by rights what Hobbes means, which would just be desires, individual desires. To a certain extent, correct or yeah, I mean, I think, I think that you know Hobbes is more penetrating than most liberals. But to but in most liberal thought, it's rights are just the way that. Um, the way in which the political power sort of carves out um, the the space for individual action. Okay. Right. So so th- there's this. We're getting into the thick the thick of it here with liberalism. But good. But there's an idea in liberalism that that the state is limited, right? Like people think liberalism wants a small state. Um. And so it has a really wide scope for individual human individual action with a small state. But actually what liberalism does is 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 
premise the state as being involved in every in every human action, right? So, so if you this is very simple. Like if you if you suppose every human action to be contractual, every human interaction to be contractual, then there are three parties to every human interaction, which is the two people making the contract and the state, which enforces it, right? So what you're actually saying is, to the extent that human interaction is in fact contractual, it is political, it's legal, it becomes coercive. So every human interaction that's contractual now has the coercive state behind it to make sure the contracts are are obeyed. So how do you within that carve out – so you have – basically what you have there is a ubiquitous legal system, mm-hmm. right? Every human being is accounted for within the legal system and he's accounted for by having a certain legal persona, you know, a certain legal identity. And that identity includes his rights, Right? So he's allowed to do this, he's allowed to do that, he's allowed to do you know, these things. And so if, if within the litigation that necessarily comes from a universally contractual society, the person who's litigating is this legal persona and his battery of rights, hmm. right? And, that, and that's what rights are, is rights are, are the identifying how, this, how this, this ubiquitous legal code identifies what any particular persona or any particular entity within its its idiom, its language, its registry of all things and all people, what that individual can and cannot do. It's a little permission slip. Like what it's allowed to do and what he's not allowed to do. They're juridical. Rights are juridical. Right. They're they're they they operate within the law, not mm. not over and against it. Hmm. Right. So um that's what the rights are. Those that's are, what rights yeah. are. Rights are what the state allows you to do legally within it. Yeah, so, and and, yeah. and it premised on the idea that the state could not if it didn't could right? not it could sorry. not it could not let you do it if it didn't want to. Oh right, it can step in and say it could encroach upon that. Yeah, right. Like it, 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 they are what a right is is saying we won't do this to you, but Im- implicit in that is is the idea they that could. we could. <laughs> yeah, right. And right? I, think, <laughs> I mean, we could we could even just point out that we see this perhaps just through COVID where. For a while, Where freedom of religion is, oh, well, right, we can have mass in church, but, well, if the state makes that their prerogative, oh, wait, no, you can't anymore. Yeah, and so rights, to- rights, are, rights are in fact fluid, and they're, they're juridically formed and unformed, and their content changes over time. I mean, they're, they're unstable inherently because it's by a state who can do what it wants. Yeah, I mean, when, what it, when in our kind of a regime, it's not just there's not like a an actor that is the state. The state is some sort of sure, some sort of insanely complicated negotiation of interests, right? But right. that whatever the outcome is does does determine what our rights are and what the content of those rights are. Definitely, I mean, those are those are given from from the political system. They're not, you know, regardless of what kind of language we use to describe them. Speaking of language, I'm thinking about all the terms we've deconstructed of state, uh, religion in general. We, we talked that. Secular. Rights, secular, the playing field. How do we start to build a terminology, a language that doesn't admit of liberalism, I would say? Read St. Augustine. City of God? <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'm really serious about that, you know, like, like re in the Bible, you know, and, and, and kind of attempt to rehabilitate our the tradition in the way that we talk about. It. So even Catholic social teaching, which I love, mm-hmm. the tradition, is an attempt at critiquing the modern ideologies 
a lot of ways from within their own language, mm. right? Like to turn them kind of against themselves and to bring Christian uh, truth into that it, those languages, those ideological systems in order to undermine them. And it's very good and it can be very effective. But it does have some limitations because of that, right? Like to return and, 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 and that's fine, right? Because it's really a critique. Most of the, the social doctrine, the, the texts are a critique. And, that, and so it's appropriate maybe that they're that way. But the positive side, the constructive side, we need to go back into the tradition, mm. you know, and, and understand what is going on historically, who we are as human beings, what the church is, and, and start talking about it that way, right? Um, what politics are, that sort of thing. Right. That sounds fantastic. So using, okay, so let's take like Leo the 13th and Reverend Navarum, and we have John Paul II's encyclicals as well. Right. And um, all the social teaching, you know, it, it seems like a lot of it is using a lot of, let's say, like private property plays a yeah. role in yeah. uh, in Leo the 13th. But it's not, in, and I think Pope Francis also said that in, uh, in Fratelli Tutti about property, that it's not just uh, you have this just juridical right, but there's like a use of it has to be use oriented. Um, so they would, so taking these terms that. Yeah. And they, they, they're modifying them in a way that really is pulling the rug out from underneath them. The terms. Right. The, they the give lim- them new import. And, and that's a, tr- it's a rhetorical, How effective do you think it's a rhetorical uh, strategy. Hmm. Um, well, I think it can be very effective to people who are reading it with sincerity. The problem is, is that there's a lot of people who read it to proof text their political ideology. Right. And this, this tactic allows them to do so. So you can be a hardcore liberal and go, look, Louis XIII says that private property is involuble. And, you know, and, and, and then what you mean by that is Locke's theory of private property. <laughs> right. But it's like, well, no, he explicitly, he's explicitly arguing against that Locking. theory of private property. Right. Right. Like when he says this, that private property is a natural right, he then goes on to explain what that right is. And it's not what you guys mean by private property, liberals, right? And so so I do think for people who read it with good faith, it's it can be very valuable. Right. That tactic. We do still need to bring in more, let's say, Augustinian biblical uh, yeah. terminology into our, our common parlance of talking about politics and talking about yeah. economics or whatever to shift the focus of like no the playing fields of the church and the secular is is playing its games within it. Yeah, no that's right. I mean, I think I think one of the ways that lately I've been thinking about it a lot and and my in my teaching I think it's been coming through more and more maybe too much is um is the importance of hierarchy in in Catholic thought, social thought, right? Because one of the obsessions of the modern ideologies ideologies is this idea of equality. Yep. yep. And it doesn't matter if you're liberal or socialist, equality is sort of dominating the ideological systems. And it's at that fundamental level that Catholicism challenges the ideologies because what it, what it asserts is that hierarchy or inequality is not just inherent and natural in society, but it's the very foundations of justice, right? That inequality is the, the mechanism by which the, the common good is achievable through the coordination of many different vocations and through the elevation of the lower into the higher, right? And so, and the mediation of God from the highest to the lowest, that hierarchy actually permeates the whole social being. And just 
just coming to an understanding of that makes both the leftist and the liberal ideological systems untenable. Like you can no longer maintain them. With hierarchy. If you really understand what uh, how, how social hierarchy mm. works. And I think we've discussed before like distributive justice. Yeah. Like the that's fact that that's been one. completely eradicated from our It's thought. not even a concept. It's all, everything's contractual. Everything's communicative. communicative. Yeah. Uh, I think you mentioned in class like even like every action's a transaction. Right. Um, it, but once you put hierarchy and distributive justice in there, it's like how do you explain that according to a liberal? A you liberalist? can't. Yeah, and so so someone like Hayek, someone like F. A. Hayek, the sort of you guys know who the Austrian economist for sure, he'll just come out and say it. I mean, in the Road to Serfdom, he just states as direct as possible that that uh, the rule of law, which by which he means um, a liberal rule of law, is incompatible with any notion of distributive justice. Wow, I mean, he, he says it's direct, and he's and he's completely correct. Hmm. Wow, yeah. So the 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 underwriting the under. Uh, the sort of uh, the assumption that that underwrites Catholic social thought from the beginning is that human beings, in fact, have different levels of power, and that that power is for the common good. And this gets back to what you're talking about: property, right? Mm. Like to own property is to have power. To own more property is to have more power than someone who owns less property. And your power is only good if it is oriented toward the common good. Right. So in another way of saying that is that your power is for the weak. Right. And mm-hmm. and and so your property is. That doesn't mean that doesn't that doesn't it that doesn't mean that your property isn't that you don't get to control the property. It's actually essential for the functioning of the hierarchy that people at different levels in the hierarchy control appropriate amounts of material goods because their function within the hierarchy requires that they control that property. Right. But they don't have a right to it in the way that a liberal would talk about it, which means it's sort of you can do whatever you want with it, and it's mm. for you. Complete ownership. There's still responsibility. It it, it actually brings with it an immense amount of responsibility. Where you are in the higher hierarchy, based on yeah. what your responsibility your responsibilities are predicated upon your relative power, right? And 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 property is a part of that. Hmm. So it's 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 unjust to use your property for yourself. Hmm. Now, I mean, merely for yourself, merely because for yourself, yeah. because your good and your family's good is also a part of the common good, and right? You have distributive justice among your family, and yeah, you're right. And your them. function within the hierarchy requires your maintenance within the position in the hierarchy, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're saying, "How do I use my property for the common good?" that includes the maintenance of the hierarchy itself, which includes your position within it. So we're not saying that you have to give all your everything you own away. That would be a violation of it. I mean, like, there, people have to hold the goods that they hold so that they can responsibly use them, right? So that's a radically different understanding of private property than, totally. than the liberals. Could you have that system, you know, without that inner workings of grace with Christianity? Distributive hierarchical justice. Like, it seems to be— You could maybe, maybe get closer to it. Okay. Right. I mean, there's degrees of depravity. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just seems like you would hope so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it comes back to that. You know, the, the more we move away from grace and God's inner workings, of course, like it becomes more of because we we talked about Locke and how while they were making all these theories of private property, they were actively taking property and they were cornering off land from peasants. And, yeah, they were taking the commons and closing the commons, turning them into private property. 
right <laughs> for their own for their own benefit that's right, right correct right to the dispossession of uh, of the of peasants the peasant. yep. and they didn't I'm, I'm sure they weren't doing that out of distributive justice motives right it was a uh, it seems like the more we're getting away from grace yeah the the more it's just becoming a uh, slaves and masters less distributive justice um right yeah everything's no, I, commutative I, I think that's right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's. And then if, you know, if, if someone who doesn't have property wants to make a justice claim against someone higher, it's like, well, I don't owe you any property. This is mine. Right. Yeah. And we kind of have this right. like self-conscious, like, uh, so let's take welfare or whatever. It's, uh, like, well, uh, you know, if they were just like dying in the streets mm-hmm. all the time because they were starving, well, that would maybe prick the conscience a bit of, but they wouldn't have some type of right to your property in a legal sense. So right. we're going to legislate it after the fact to give them enough so that they don't die and are at mm-hmm. least somewhat. Um, you mentioned uh, a friend of yours. I, I don't know if I want to bring too much of it, but he said, basically, I don't. It, the welfare state that we've created, it's not really a problem. It actually is a good thing. Right? Yeah. Because we yeah. can continue our economic machine, but a certain number of people can just. Yeah. I mean, that, that's right. He was a, a Wall Street guy. Wall Street guy. Yeah. And 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 his basic position was that was that whatever it costs who cares just as long as they stay out of our hair so that we can keep making money and that and that and that his reaction was it's peanuts like the welfare state is peanuts. i mean it, it is peanuts, it's comparatively. peanuts compared to what we're to, to the money that's in play here yeah, yeah. you're talking about the so, derivative market the other day <laughs> yeah exactly so, trillions of dollars thrown around and it's like whatever yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 600 trillion in europe or something like yeah. that i mean no but, but this, i mean yeah. the, the the one of the one of the ideas here that's important is that property Property is secondary to human flourishing, right? So, hmm. we we have a within the Catholic mode of thought, we have a we have human beings and human dignity and the relationality of human beings and that that and then property. We then consider how is it that the material world fits into that. Um, whereas for the liberals, that's totally reversed, right? So, like the reason why they like when they're asked how is it that you have individual rights. And they, their explanation is to reduce it to property rights. So they say something like, I own myself. This is what John Locke says, right? Literally. Literally, you own yourself. And so the reason why you, can, you have freedoms appropriately is merely because you own yourself and property rights are the fundamental sort of transcendental freedom, right? All rights are property rights, essentially. Um, he even goes so far as to say that the only reason why it's wrong for me to kill you is because God owns you. So you're, you're a piece of private property, which is the reason why I can't kill you, because that would be violating someone else's property rights. So they've made property prior to humanity <laughs> and then define wow. humanity in terms of property, right? And now that is just an obvious inversion of the hierarchy of being to where the rocks are higher than the angels. Right, it's a it's a flipping it upside down, um, and it's it's very very wrong. Speaking of the hierarchy, <laughs> you know, I, I'm just I'm just thinking a little bit in terms of application of some of this stuff because we talked about conversion, and we talked about sanctifying the temporal order, and I guess it comes down to that question of you know some people feel like oh what so am I supposed to go out and somehow change the state and that's untenable what do you like what does yeah, that mean right yeah. and so it seems like you know you want to start at the lowest level and the family really is sort of the fundamental unit that is a witness against these principles of liberalism because right. you have that fundamental hierarchy in there yeah. and so you know again you said augustine and you know scripture um are some ways to kind of recover some of this vision 
But what does it look like in terms of like, I know, you know, you have eight kids. So what does that look like in terms of raising your kids? How do you do that in this culture to try to shape sort of and give them a vision that is distinct from the one we're kind of immersed in and aren't even aware of? Yeah, I mean, a lot of that comes naturally, I think, if you if you're if you're really trying to take it seriously. So how do you raise your own kids? The kind of community you seek out with your children the kind of interactions you have, the kind of like media you consume, you know what I mean? I mean, there's some real discipline that has to go into that um, to not just be all talk. But I do think that perhaps more important to just kind of like jump off from your question is, is the question of, well, what can we do or how can we, like I control my family and that's pretty much it. You know, mm-hmm. and I have some influence over groups of people, but for the most part, my family is the place where I'm really in control. and. But the point, one of the points of, of an understanding of hierarchy is that that's actually the most powerful place, right? So like it, 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 the state and the market, the regime under which we live is really big and really, really powerful at the scale of really big, but it's not very powerful at the scale of the very small. Hmm. right? It's only, it's only powerful at the scale of the very small when the very small invites it in and conforms to it, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's whole realms of human interaction that are friendships, that are the parishes, that are the community, the neighborhoods, the whole, that the state and the, you know, the big market apparatus just, just isn't there, right? And doesn't have anything, can't even see it, doesn't even know what's going on, right? And, and when it, when it tries to talk about it, if it tries to narrate it, it starts narrating about individuals and rights and their contracts and their property, which is just not what's happening. Right, what's actually happening is groups of friends who are living together, who are raising their children, who are progressing towards virtue, who are receiving the sac. All these things that the state, that the the regime doesn't have even words for, right? right? And that's what's really going on. But that's also the place where virtue is really being formed, where where real politics is being done, which is the the cultivation of subsidiarity. Virtue. Yeah, subsidiarity. That that's the beauty of the, of the concept of subsidiarity is it's not a con- it's not a constitutional recommendation. Right? It's not federalism. It's a it's an anthropology. Like the theory, the, the idea is subsidiarity is a fact, and the most powerful thing is in fact the smallest thing. Right? Like no one has more power over. I mean, a father has more powerful power over his children than any. And there's no power like that. Right? That's that that's the the, the most powerful like relationship you're going to find anywhere, and that's the smallest one. And so if you internalize that concept, then you stop going, oh, what can I do in Washington, D.C. or New York that'll change the world? And it's like, no, you're thinking like they do, right? The, the way we change the world is by changing it Bottom up, not here. top down. We change yeah. it here. And, and that actually does change the world. That's how the Roman Empire was changed. That's how, that's how the world is, in fact, changed. One of my favorite Peter Crave quotes <clears throat> is like, he calls it telescopic philanthropy, where we're looking on the wrong end of a telescope, that things are really close, look like- right. uh, they're super far away and the things that are really far away look super close. And right. we're like, we'll love the things that are, you know, really far away, but the things that are really close, like, you know, it's harder to love that. You're going to go change the world with your, your right, vote right. politics, but you could really just change the world by paying attention to your kids and raising well, them. Well, and that's right the way. way the proper hierarchy works, right? It's like, it's like there, we need people at those higher levels. Yes. Absolutely. But like us here at the bottom, our world is the world that falls out below us. You know, which for a lot of us is mostly our families, mm-hmm. but that's not some sort of like retreat. 
that is in fact our like our proper vocation within the hierarchy, and it's the foundation of the whole social organism. It's what it means to change the temporal order yeah, exactly. to sanctify. It comes it. from the bottom up. This is what mm. my wife always says. It's like we we're serving the like she she says she's serving the poor directly, and she means the children because they're the weakest ones there are. Like the the children are the poorest you'll ever find. You know, there's no one poorer than a three year old. Well. You, know? <laughs> you don't have to go change the world. You can just you just change, change your world. Of, yeah, of and, and 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 that and that will change the world. That's the yeah, thing. Diffusion. It does. It does and yeah. Um, it, yeah. So there there there's more hope. It's almost like a recognition of the depravity of the really big should actually lead us to being more hopeful because we realize that the very small is actually the more powerful, and it's still here for us to take because they're not interested in the very small. And one of the very small, the Kellen and Alex show. <laughs> Little small podcast changing the world in our own ways. Yeah. Any any final thoughts, guys, as we kind of wrap up? I, I'm I'm just still mind being blown. I'm uh, <laughs> I'm definitely going to listen to this podcast again and go through it. But um, yeah, it's been I think a great time, up. man. All right, uh, Josh. Thanks for thanks for being on. Hey, thanks Josh. for having me, Alex. Thank you guys. A real it's honor. Been such Thank a pleasure. Podcast. And, All right. Uh, Guys, just going to wrap it up for us. Uh, we have a podcast tomorrow with Faith Cirilla on homeschooling because she didn't like what we said about homeschooling last time. Uh, also on Tuesday, Dr. Dom and Dr. B will be on the podcast talking about their bread and virtue class. So baking bread, a little small thing. Uh, it's going to change the world. I, I truly believe it. <laughs> so uh, thank you all for listening and uh, peace out. If there's a Christian religion, then it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is art of people living together orienting one another towards virtue and the person was like dude flirting is the abortion of love this is the most worthy most exciting most adventurous drop a nuke uh, on the franciscan bubble the kellen and alex show God could have stopped it if he Permissive will. That's right. <laughs> I don't know why God would allow something like that to go through. But then again, God allows God allows you to go to... on and on. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Truth, okay. <laughs>